Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to the president of the Canadian Out-of-Home Marketing and Measurement Bureau, Amanda Dorenberg. Now, we're talking billboards, bus sides, those amazing 3D displays that you see kind of hanging off the sides of buildings. We'll talk about those. Uh, we'll look at the opportunities that are available with out-of-home advertising. How old school, I suppose, advertising in a way is becoming more technical and incorporating digital. Plus, we chat about measuring results, which is really important. Uh, Check out the links in the show notes. Subscribe if you enjoy the episode. Let's get to it. Hey, Amanda, thanks for doing this. We're talking about... (laughs) I was, I was actually thinking of the acronym because it's OOH, isn't it? And it's kind of like when I get out of bed in the morning and it's like, oh, out of home advertising. That's what we're going to chat about because we don't talk about it an awful yes. lot. And we'll, we'll chat about this. But let me give you a few seconds, 30 seconds or so to tell everybody who you are and kind of what you do. Go, go for it. Amazing. Thanks for tuning in for those of you who are listening or watching. So my name is Amanda Zornberg. And I am the president of COMB, which is another fun acronym, C-O-M-M-B, which stands for the Canadian Out-of-Home Marketing and Measurement Bureau. And in short, I like to do global advocacy for the efficacy of the out-of-home industry and how powerful the media format is overall in the advertising ecosystem. So kind of explain what out-of-home advertising is. I mean, I mean, it's obviously stuff that isn't in your home, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, at its very core definition, advertising that is outside of yeah. your home, but could be comprised. There, there's two sort of categories. I, I would one called outdoor, one called place-based or indoor. On the outdoor side, media formats could range from anything as large format roadside billboards that you would see as you're driving, you know, throughout your your day to day, your commute, your commute, etc. Or it could be your large media formats like Wallscapes that you see, you know, JC Deco in, in the UK or Times Square in, in the US, in Canada, you know, Dundas, where massive, massive large formats mediums. Or it is, it is also comprised of transit. So it could be transit shelters, bus shelters, kiosks, transit wraps, moving media, airport advertising on the out, outside. So outdoor has many different media formats, but likewise, so does place-based yeah. and indoor. There's some pretty impressive stuff going Go on, isn't there? I mean, I mean, when you look at like Piccadilly Circus in London and I suppose Times Square in New York and places like that, and they've got these enormous sort of like Blade Runner style displays hanging off the building. Yeah, incredible mm. creativity happening as well, particularly with the, uh, the digital out-of-home side of things. You know, there's anamorphic creative, which is a, a fancy term for those 3D creatives that feel like you're actually the content is coming out of the digital screens and like really immersing you as you're you're a passerby on the street so there's some really critical innovations that are happening within the space from a creative perspective but also from a technology and a data so how does that kind of 3d stuff work is it is it coming through like a ar on your on your phone or something are you holding your phone up and watch or is this what you see how does it work because I've, I've not i have no idea it's it's actually what you see. So it's how the content is, is formed. So uh, the digital assets, whether they be on a corner, a lot of the anamorphic and the 3D um, <clears throat> displays, you will notice, will be on the corner of a building uh, or the corner of some sort of property. And they're, they're very large. And <clears throat> it's the way the content is actually filmed. So the creative production on the back end before it actually gets displayed on the out-of-home asset in the real world, that's where the the 3D effect sort of comes in. So it's how it's it's filmed and, and developed from a creative perspective. 
and then it gets executed within the out-of-home side of things. Certainly, there are areas or, or opportunities where people are leveraging like augmented reality with their their phones. You know, they're scanning something to have a bit of a 3D component. But the onset of, of anamorphic creative and the, these 3D creatives have sort of eliminated that need to, you know, leverage your phone to interact with the out-of-home side of things. And it's just like really immersive when you're in-person IRL, yeah, if you will. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I mean, I mean, we've all seen it like on, I don't know, Instagram and Facebook and whatever, these videos and, and stuff. And I can imagine it, it works incredible. really well yeah. be- because of that. You put that on the side of a building and everybody's going to be filming it, sharing it. Like Now, you you don't do that with a bus side. So, do, do, oh, you I mean, do, yeah, <laughs> but you, I mean, you don't do it with side. a billboard, do you really? I mean, I mean, like I, I was traveling yesterday and I was stuck on the, the train for ages and ages. And there's, you know, there's placement holders mm-hmm. for advertising all over the train, all over the stations or things like that. So does this sort of stuff still work? Or do we have to go big style now? No, the the more, so I would call what you're referencing, like the traditional mm. media, like a bus advertisement or a transit shelter or a classic billboard. It's certainly very impactful and very powerful. Uh, more and more so as we move into this, the cookie-less world mm. and, you know, the the onset of less mobile advertising identif- identifiers, um, another acronym, M-A-I-D. So <clears throat> as we, we continue to grow into this very privacy-concerned uh, ecosystem with respect to consumers' personal information, their demographic information, their behaviors, and whatnot. The out-of-home space and the offline advertising space actually becomes more and more relevant because it's it's highly contextual. It's you know out-of-home, generally speaking, is I like to say it's part of the fabric of of our landscape. It's 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 part of our cities. It's part of our towns. It's part of our rural areas. Whether you're in an urban space or you are in a rural community, there is a value proposition, and and advertisers and, and uh, brands and and marketers will look at the various different um, geographical um, <clears throat> regions and and tailor their strategy appropriately. You know, and in a more urban core, you you may have larger national advertisers, the Apples, mm. um, the Googles of the world, the big tech, etc. In some of the the secondary and tertiary markets, you may see a higher number of local regional advertisers, your mom and pop mm. store trying to drive traffic uh, in a proximity basis. So there's various different strategies and, and strategic approaches relative to how you can ensure that out-of-home is is truly effective. Do, do you think the out-of-home stuff is more creative than the digital stuff? I do. I think it is. I mean, I'm a little biased, but yes. <laughs> I definitely because all, I, There's so many yeah, opportunities. All digital advertising just seems to but, be a Canva template, right? To be a Canva template. It could be, you know, social templates. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I think there's a... there's very valuable assets within the the digital ecosystem and the online advertising space. But if I'm specifically talking about creative, in the out-of-home space, you have a lot more flexibility. So you can go creativity in a more classic perspective where, you know, you've got a static mural or a static banner or large format out-of-home asset and you build 3D extensions on it where there's actual like 3D components to it or extensions over and above the top or the sides. You can put somewhat of an experiential. So I saw... One of my favorite, it's an old campaign, one of my favorite campaigns, a Toyota campaign. And they had a, a, a classic poster where it, it was a it was a very small vehicle. I can't remember which brand or name nameplate they were advertising in this particular campaign, but it was a very small vehicle and they had a funnel on the billboard and they, they did a 3D extension and there was all sorts of just random products that were being funneled through and they actually parked a car 
underneath the the static asset and had it sort of spilling over. And McDonald's does a great job also with their 3D stuff. They have like their steaming cups coming out or, or smoke, you know, dry ice coming out of their, at their billboards. But then there's the technology side of it with respect to digital out of home. <clears throat> we, can, we can ingest RSS feeds or JSON feeds, any of these sort of technological advancements where you can change the creative based on the color of the sky or... As you can see behind me, it's snowing right now. <laughs> so if it's snowing, you might want. <laughs> yes, if it's snowing, you may want to trigger an advertisement that's you know snow boots or winter coats or you know vacations to warm destinations. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility, particularly with creative. It's just really how a brand or a marketer wants to yeah, approach it. I saw it. a great one in London a few weeks ago. It was for an insurance company, a car insurance company. And they had a car, an actual car embedded in the smashed up car embedded in the middle of the billboard and it looked amazing yes really did yeah it's eye-catching too when you see those those unique creative executions you're gonna look at it you're gonna be like whoa what is this (laughs) absolutely you you mentioned the privacy side of it and the privacy side of it is obviously becoming a lot more important there's going to be new laws over the next few years coming in yeah they are well they're private aren't they i mean they're not i mean are people trying to add monitoring things into billboards and into out-of-home advertising to try and catch phone signals and whatever and track folk and and that? Or or is it still totally private? My answer is a two-part answer to that question. So it is still completely anonymized information, but most... So Comb is a not-for-profit association. We provide measurement services and and marketing services for the out-of-home industry in the Canadian space. And part of how we do that is to leverage mobile location data and geospatial data, aggregate anonymized information. So we're not actually like advertising to them, but to the, to the devices or to the consumer specifically, we are just a, an aggregator of, of data, if you will. Uh, but we ingest over 8.2 million road segments of data on an hourly basis across the country. So whilst people may look at out of home as a very traditional media format, it is highly te- yeah. technologically advanced not just in, in my market, but, but on a global scale. We're all sort of looking at, at data and, and leveraging uh, data in, in a various, various different capacities. But we certainly understand patterns of movements of cellular devices in front of a, an out-of-home face, whether it be a classic out-of-home, a transit shelter, or a digital out-of-home space. And we are able to understand based on certain behaviors of that device. And once again, it's anonymized. I don't know that John passed the board at two o'clock today, but I know that a device passed the board at two o'clock today. And that device happens to reside in a geographical neighborhood that could be either affluent or of a multicultural demographic. Uh, So there are ways that we're leveraging targeting and and data to ensure that we're able to offer advertisers a very privacy safe, privacy compliant, uh, but vast array of, of ways in which they can communicate to yeah. their well, we're not at the point where i drive past a billboard for a barbecue or something and then i start seeing barbecue adverts on instagram or are we somewhat <laughs> <laughs> if it's a digital out-of-home advertisement there are ways to be in a more omni-channel uh, and 360 so that that certainly doesn't happen as as much with classic inventory classic being like your static inventory, but in the digital out-of-home space with programmatic digital out-of-home, it's all fueled mm-hmm. by data and that's fueled by an IP address. So if if an advertiser 
a brand sees that a device passed by a an advertisement, you know, this data is date and time stamped. Once again, it's it's completely anonymized. I don't know that it's John. I just know device ID one two three four passed by a barbecue advertisement at noon on Saturday, and by one o'clock on Saturday, that device tapped into you know their their home internet and the IP address could be then retargeted with barbecue right. advertisement. And if I bought the barbecue, could it could it be turning around and saying, well, he passed that billboard <laughs> and that's why he bought the barbecue? Are we are we there yet? There are some attribution companies that mm. provide those services. It's not something that my organization does, but there are certain companies that do provide those attribution components. It's not one-to-one. And so that's where in the in the out-of-home space, it differs from from the privacy in the in the online space, if you will. So the online space, you understand that it's like right now I'm staring at my laptop. I, if I get served up an advertisement, that's yeah. me typically yeah. looking at it. You know, if you've got a family or you're in a multi-dwelling home or multi-person at home, then sure, it could be somebody else. But <clears throat> you've got a one-to-one experience. In the offline space of out-of-home, it's a one-to-many. So there's multiple devices passing by at the exact same time, and they're all probably going to get retargeted with that same barbecue ad. So it's, once again, from a privacy perspective, it's not as infringing, if you will, because it's it's not that one-to-one experience. It's a one-to-many. There's a lot of assumptions. There's more assumptions yeah, with respect to the Because I think the model. assumption with privacy is that all companies, all particularly larger companies, they, they want to know what you do as an individual, but you don't think that's quite quite right. You think it's more of a cohort-based, more more groups, rather than whether I buy a barbecue. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's not John bought a barbecue today. It's this particular audience had passed by at this particular time, and they happened to disseminate to various different geographical regions, and we targeted them, and, you know, one out of 15 who may have been exposed to that barbecue ad ended up converting to a yeah. customer. What what are the kinds of out of home placements should we think about? There's got to be some really cool, interesting ones. I mean, I know the big billboard things, but like that's not in everybody's budget, really, is it? It can be. It, it's interesting the perception of of out of home. So out of home is one of the oldest media formats in the advertising industry. Thousands of years yeah. it's been around. <laughs> and what I what I find so intriguing is that if we look at it from a cost like a CPM perspective cost per thousand impressions out of home on a global scale is actually one of the most affordable CPMs. It's, it's on the lower scale, especially in comparison to digital. And the rationale for that is it's one to many versus one to one in a digital space. If I'm doing a video pre-roll on my website, I know I've got eyes looking at it for 30 seconds, or I've got eyes looking at it for 15 seconds. If I'm doing a video advertisement in Times Square, it's, I've got, you know, 100,000 people looking at it. I don't know who they are necessarily. There's a lot more work that has to go into understanding who they are and how to convert them into a client. But what gets me excited with Out of Home, I mean, it's really the, the endless opportunities from a creative perspective. And any media format could be exciting. You, you, you really have limitless opportunities. You can make it whatever you want, pending bylaws and, and certain you know, restrictions that cities and, and municip- municipalities may have, but you have almost endless creativity. So 
it's one of those things where it's like, if you dream it, you can make it yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so literally any media format could be exciting. It could be indoor, you know, if you're, if you've got a resto bar, um, restaurant advertisements on, on the inside, if you're at a gym, you can do yeah. something cool. Out of home also includes experiential sure. advertising, which some people overlook. And experiential advertising is named appropriately. It's, it's meant to build an experience. Uh, so there's, there's, incredible uh, opportunity with with engagement when it comes to to the to the experiential side of things experiential can be a little more costly it's not your traditional media format so it, it really sort of depends on what um, what your yeah. goals are ultimately and, and what the KPIs are that you're looking to Do achieve people forget about out of home stuff i think it's it's kind of like we just don't even think about it because everything is like facebook ads instagram ads google ads we just forget about it hmm. sometimes I would say that. Yeah, it is a bit of an underdog. So on a global scale, depending on the region, the market, out of the total advertising expenditure, market to market, it ranges, it being out of home ranges between 5% to 14% of the total overall advertising expenditure, which is a very small portion of the the, the pie of, of advertising dollars. And that would be indicative to the fact that um, sometimes it could be overlooked. Uh, it is seen sometimes as a reach medium, meaning more expansive reach to get brand awareness versus sometimes more yeah. tactical. And so I think there's a an educational process that needs to happen <clears throat> across the board. And it's one of the, the things that I try to uh, to work with my teams on from an advocacy perspective to specifically speak about the importance and the value proposition of, of offline advertising or out of home in general, because there is certainly room to grow that that expenditure and and i think from a creativity perspective once again it provides endless sort of opportunity but you can also get very tactical especially with the onset of, of digital out of home programmatic digital out of home you know programmatic digital out of home is integrated within all of the online um dsp so you you can do an omni-channel campaign um through the trade desk or through your your dsp whatever dsp of choice you're, you're working with and out of home can be incorporated in that. Digital out of home specifically can be incorporated in that. So you can have the exact same sort of targeting capacity. It can be very tactical. It's just there's a lack of understanding of, on how that can actually yeah. happen. We've touched a little bit on the measurement side. How do we kind of report the return on the investment? Mm -hmm. And also, is there kind of some sort of a platform that brings in out of home together with digital so that we can measure the whole thing together? Or is it still very much separate? There's uh, various different MMM tools. So MMM, mm, another acronym, <laughs> media, media mix modeling tools that incorporate out of home within that. And most of the MMM tools will will provide sort of an, an omni-channel look at the various different media formats, whether it be broadcast, digital online, OTT, which is streaming services, out of home, et cetera. And the, the, the buyer will put into the MMM platform their KPIs and what they're looking to achieve. And then it will spit out sort of a spend recommendation and a, a recommended duration of time to achieve your set, you know, impression, delivery, et cetera. Uh, however, out of home is not widely integrated into mm. most MMM applications. And that is because there is not a global standard for out of home right. measurement. In the online space, you have, you have yeah, the IAB, the global yeah. standard. You know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> uh, every market has adopted it. Every market works with it. And unfortunately, in many markets internationally, there isn't a measurement at all for out of home. A lot of markets 
don't, and some of the larger markets with like these big, beautiful digital displays, I'm not going to name which ones they are, but um, they, they don't have measurements, mm. bodies. Mm. They don't have, you know, a, a third party organization working to benefit the industry as a whole to provide those measurement services to both the publishers, being the sellers and, and the buyers. And so that becomes problematic from an adoption perspective on a global scale, because there isn't one sort of standard currency like in, in native digital that you have with the IAB that anyone is familiar with. Each market, frankly, various different markets, you know, my market is different than the US market, even though we're both North yeah. America, we have different yeah. approaches, some similarities, but very different. My measurement is also different than Australia, than route in the UK, than, you know, various different other markets. So there isn't a global standard that has been adopted and thus implemented. And some of that also comes down to the fact that there's varying privacy legislation sure. with respect to how we collect data market to market. And it's not even just like, so it's not even just region to region. For example, in the Canadian space, one of our provinces, Quebec, if you go into that particular province, the neighborhoods have different mm. regulations. They have different regulatory approvals that need to go through various different processes. And it's a different privacy law in that particular province than it is in, you know, Vancouver or British Columbia, let's say. And then there's a federal yeah. approval. So there's so many different components with respect to out of home. And because we're dealing with like physical land and physical geographical abilities to collect and, and understand data, it's, it's more complex. You can't just roll something out and be like, okay, every market can adopt this because maybe a market overseas doesn't even have the availability of some of the data that we have in other markets. So it becomes very challenging to create that standard and thus to implement that into the, the media mix modeling tools on a global scale becomes yeah. more challenging. Yeah. Does, so so is there a way to kind of figure out, because I was talking to somebody ages and ages ago on the pod who's, who said to me that kind of like, they, if you run a national campaign, you could, for example, pull the advertising from one particular region and see what the drop was. And, and then that gives you an idea on, on how, yep. it, how it's performing and how you're doing. Is that the kind of what we're looking at? But if we were doing something ultra local, particularly just around a town or a city or something, that, that's more difficult to do, isn't it? How would we say this money has generated us some business? So in, in most of those cases, we, we call those attribution studies. And there's there's something typically called an exposure group and a control group. So usually there's a data analysis that happens pre-campaign where you geofence the, whether it be a static asset or like static billboard or, or digital billboard, doesn't matter. You geofence the actual out-of-home asset. You understand the volume of devices that have passed by. It's typically led by SDK, like software development kit, geospatial data. You understand the, the number of devices that were exposed to that general billboard face at an, in a normal capacity. And then subsequently, I'm just going to use it's it's Starbucks. Yeah. Subsequently, you go, you geofence your Starbucks location that's looking to understand the footfall traffic that goes into to Starbucks. So you've got a baseline there. So you run this sort of this control group, if you will, prior to the campaign starting. And then once your campaign starts, you do the same concept, but you're only collecting device information about people who were exposed to the advertisement. And then subsequently saw a Starbucks advertisement, went to local Starbucks shop at the corner of X and Y. 
And then you compare that to your control group. And that's how you get your lift in, in it's typically not tied back to revenue, but it's a lift in up in store traffic. And ultimately you can make an assumption that if I had a lift in my traffic, the brand could then subsequently internally go and look at the revenue change between controlled group timeframe, exposure group timeframe, and see if there was an uptake in revenue. One of the thing that, things that does not typically get shared with media owners and publishers specifically is that, that revenue mm-hmm. side of things. So brands, of course, are very protective, um, and rightfully so, of, yeah. of their fiscal and, and monetary increases or, or investments. So there's a lot of case studies that are out in the marketplace relative to the efficacy of out-of-home. But the one thing that we hear quite frequently is it's lacking in, well, how did that how did that translate into yeah. my revenue? How did, how did it increase revenue? And we'd love to be able to publish that, but the brands won't give us that information because of course, you know, it's, it's their fiscal yeah. component. So, you know, I understand sort of both sides and it's led to the focus on attribution yeah. being really the increase in, in, in store walk. But it can be measured. Well, we can get an idea on how, yeah, it can be measured. So, so what would you Sorry. like to see in the future? Yeah, do, you, do you want to see Blade Runner? And I bet you would love to see kind of like, Blade Runner in the future. I would yeah. love to see that. Yes. I I mean, a lot of that happens, actually. It's it's not as common, but there's like massive 3D projection mm. mapping companies that, that do this, and that falls into the experiential side of things. But once again, those are logistically yeah. challenging to execute. And certainly, if you're in an urban area, you have to deal with the fact that, you know, you can probably see I've got condos all around me. So if the branded and experience. Yeah, nobody's going to get any sleep, are they, at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> um, but I would mm. love to see that. I, I would totally yeah. love to see, you know, the virtual virtual world just becoming part yeah, of our day to day. Yeah, I'd like that as well. Amanda, it's been fascinating. It's something which we don't talk about a lot, to be fair, because everything is just digital all the time, really. And we don't think about these things. It is. Yeah. I mean, we live in the digital mm. era. Fun fact, actually, the... There's some great sticks and studies out there that I've read recently <clears throat> where the, the Gen Zs are mm. our youngest demographic at this stage. Um, first and foremost, they have 390 billion US dollars in disposable income. Um, and they grew up in this digital era. They're, they are digital natives. They're the TikTokers. Yeah. They are the Instagram you know, crazed generation. They actually don't trust digital advertisements. <laughs> and yeah. their most trusted form of advertising is yeah. traditional print newspaper and yeah. out of home. you know i heard something the other the other day which i thought was absolutely fascinating that a lot lot of younger folk are going back to sort of like physical media that they own as well like like paper books and and yeah. buying you know cds and dvds because you, you the the movies you want to watch you you don't want to spend the rest of your life paying 10 pounds to somebody just to be able to watch the movies you enjoy do you really i don't know or do you no not no. at all I mean, maybe some do, but yeah, I I find that to be an interesting statistic because it's such a digitally driven uh, generation who predominantly prefer traditional media formats. Amanda, thanks ever so much for your time. And where can we find you? Where's your website? Social media bits. Where can we get in touch? Best place. Any social platform, just at Amanda Dornberg. I also write for uh, Rolling Stone, Fast Company, Forbes, and Entrepreneur Magazine. And the company website is www.commb.ca. Fantastic. I'll put a load of links in the show notes and folks can tap on those. Fantastic. Lovely. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Thanks again to Amanda for her time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. Uh, Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.